0: Welcome back to the Line to Gain podcast, episode 2, 1950s. I'm your host, Jeremy Dixon, along with Mike Parker. Mike, how you doing, man? Doing great. Glad I'm, uh, to be back. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to finally dig into a little bit of the actual data and the, the numbers and the, the teams and all this stuff, man. This is going to be fun. I, I know uh, listening back and editing our last podcast, I don't do enough research, clearly, because, uh, (laughs) you know, with with our first memories of, uh, you know, what kind of our first clear football memories I was uh, I was off. Uh, It was the 1988 Super Bowl after the 1987 season when uh, Doug Williams and the then Washington Redskins defeated the Denver Broncos in the Super Bowl. So uh, I was a little off and we were a little off on years. Uh, we need we need our stat guy to uh to to come in and check check us up from time to time so i appreciate that
1: so we'll have our stat guy flag that from moving forward and we'll make those adjustments in line
0: absolutely absolutely
1: so yeah um you know let's let's dig into this thing man yeah so uh, i think in order to discuss the 1950s i want to give a brief history of the nfl and kind of where it started from it's going to be brief kind of bullet point We're just going to run into it. Ready? Yeah, let's go. All right. August 20th, 1920, representatives from the Akron Pros, Canton Bulldogs, Cleveland Indians, and the Dayton Triangles meet at a Hupmobile showroom in Canton to form the American Professional Football Conference, the APFC, and Professional Football is Born in Ohio.
0: Real quick here, Mike. I found some information. The people in Pennsylvania... In Pittsburgh are going to disagree with you there because they say, and they're very adamant about this, that the first professional football game ever played was between the Pittsburgh, uh, sorry, the Pittsburgh Athletic Club and the Allegheny Athletic Club on November 12th, 1892. And William Heffelfinger is known to be the first professional football player after accepting $500 and $25 travel expenses from the Allegheny Athletic Club to play in the game,
1: well, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll have to give the answers that. I, I well, not...
0: we could have our stat guy check it, but I'm I'm pretty sure that that that's what that's what the folks in Pennsylvania are saying.
1: So let's say this: the origins of the NFL. Start in Cleveland or in Ohio.
0: Okay, I'll I'll give you that specifically
1: you that. northeastern Ohio. Okay. All right, let's go. So one of the things as I was like researching this is like I've, I, I consider myself kind of a car guy, uh, and uh-huh. I've never heard of a Huttmobile in my entire I never, life. Yeah, I never so I either. So I did this deep dive. Um, just this American um, automobile company that made kind of. Not luxury vehicles, but high-end vehicles, um, and they were competing against Ford and Chevy at the time. Chevrolet. Um, they started going big, like heavy, and coming into the um, 1930s, like during the Depression, they started to have a tough time, and they just could, they didn't, they didn't make it. But this was, I don't know, what would be the uh, the equivalent nowadays of an independent car dealer luxury car dealer i'm like i'm not even you know i'm not even sure uh, i would know the, uh, tesla maybe i yeah. don't know something that just comes in and it's modern day yeah what about end.
0: what about uh delorean back i that was like Ooh. in like the 80s because that was supposed sorted to be. history the delorean yeah right i know i've, <laughs> seen, I've watched the documentary
1: <laughs> yeah so um so that was the first question i was like what the heck is a hump hump mobile right. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so um and then i'm like why in Canton? Like, I didn't understand, like, why, why would these guys just drive to a, I've been to Canton. Um, I've been to the hall of fame. I mean, it's an outskirt town, maybe, uh, uh, Olympia of, you know, the Seattle area. So it's a smaller city. So I'm like, why there, why not Cleveland? Why not, you know, Pittsburgh or Philadelphia or New York for that matter. Um, It apparently the owner of the Canton Bulldogs, Ralph May, um, he owned the dealership. He owned several dealerships in the area. So it only made sense for these four representatives to meet there in his dealership, sitting on the sitting, leaning up on one of his cars and just hashing this whole deal out. Did you uh, see how much
0: he charged per team to get to get a team? An no. owner of a team. What was hundred dollars a piece? Hundred bucks a piece? Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, there's some numbers that we'll talk about a little bit later um, regarding the Baltimore Colts, and we'll we'll talk about kind of the amount of money that was paid to them. Yeah, know, for that back in the 1950s, and how much it's worth now. So um, more to come on that. So after this meeting, September 17th. Uh, 1920. the four teams were joined by some additional teams. We have two from Indiana, the Hammond Pros and the Muncie Flyers, and uh, from New York, the Rochester Jeffersons, and we have the Rock Island Independents, the Decatur Staley's, and the then Racine Cardinals from Illinois. The league's name was changed to the American Professional Football Association from conference to association. rounding out the 14 teams shortly thereafter and uh, these were added mid-season 1920 the buffalo all americans the chicago tigers and the columbus panhandles and the detroit heralds you can see like these weird names the detroit hail heralds and the decatur staley's um most of these teams were sponsored by by companies right so the decatur staley's uh for example were uh like a corporate team that was funded by this state staley corporation and this is where george hallis um was the president became the the president of the decatur staley's and eventually changed the name to the chicago bears okay so um out i, of, go I ahead. think
0: that uh, i was gonna say it's really interesting that the they added four teams mid-season like yeah what, how, yeah it's like, unheard like, of yeah it's, right.
1: yeah you wouldn't ever hear of that today for sure well, I guess Ralph May wanted that hundred bucks. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. So maybe no it's one hundred and fifty at that point. Yeah, yeah, you got to pay one hundred and fifty if you're late <laughs> to the party. So um, the Akron Pros were the first championship of the league. No championship game. It was just solely based on uh, percentage. So your win percentage. So you had the best record, you won. It's like the regular season does matter apparently, right. <laughs> at least in the NFL in the nineteen twenties. Right. So in 1932 the season ended with two teams the Chicago Bears and the Portsmouth Spartans in a statistical tie. So the playoff game was born. It so was, I'm,
0: I'm taking it they didn't have tiebreakers back then.
1: Uh apparently it was a playoff game. <laughs> but they that's didn't awesome. yeah they didn't have any you know oh that's right like what your division yeah. record and your conference record right. and your out yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they didn't have any of those uh, at this point. So they said, hey, let's play another game to decide who um, is the winner. Um, the next year, the teams were divided into conferences, and the winner from each conference would play in a championship game. They so
0: 1933 was the first year there was a championship game. Well, I guess 32 was the first year, but 33 was the first year there was a, a scheduled. Yes. A scheduled championship. Okay. Correct. Interesting. Interesting.
1: So about for the next 15 or so years, the uh, NFL's kind of moving along, uh, growing and becoming more popular. Um, They are at this point one of the top professional leagues in the country. Um, And they start making these agreements with regional football leagues, uh, the American Association, the Dixie League and the Pacific Coast Professional Football League essentially they become, these, these areas become a touring event. They have uh, expositions where NFL teams will play teams from these, you know, minor leagues. And um, just and the reason they did this is so that fans from these regional areas would be able to see, you know, real, you know, the NFL playing and right. got, the, got the word out. So it was quite uh, uh, an agreement um, a, a unique agreement at the time. I guess at this point, I would liken it to maybe an a out-of-conference college football game where okay. the SEC travels uh, to UCLA, LSU travels to um, UCLA to play a game in the Rose Bowl. Okay. So you have that visibility of those teams, and you're playing outside of your conference, and you're kind of a, you know, a traveling show, if you will. So um, very, very important for the league. Yeah. Soon thereafter, these um, team these other leagues started to fail. And they had only, at one point, only one competition at the end of the, at the, end of the 40s. It was the All-American Football Conference, founded in 1946. They, they merged with the NFL in 1949. And that brought us the Cleveland Browns. San Francisco 49ers and the Baltimore Col- Baltimore
0: Colts. Let me ask you a question.
1: So, from
0: Ralph Hay having that meeting at the Humpmobile uh, showroom to when the like when did they officially change the name to NFL? Uh, it was
1: 1922 season.
0: 19. Okay, got it.
1: So officially Sorry. June 24th, 1922. June 24th. Oh, got it right there. Okay, yep. Yeah.
0: I'm yeah. back, I'm
1: back. <laughs> no, i No, and at this point, the stage was set. Yeah. Okay, so now we have, we're going into the 1950 season. We have our 13 teams, and this is kind of where our project started. So just another rundown of the rules real quick to kind of catch us up. Um, we mentioned it in the first episode. We're going to mention it in each, each episode moving forward so that we understand how we're, what we're determining the winners of each uh decade the dynasty of each decade right so you must make the playoffs in a given year to earn points to be the dynasty of the decade you must win at least one championship or super bowl and the teams will be scored uh one to five based on how far they made it uh, that year so five Mac-
0: points for a super bowl or championship game yep. win one point for a playoff or making the playoffs
1: so the Super Bowl winner going through that year will earn a total of 9 points. Okay. The, the the Super Bowl loser 8 points and so on and so forth down the Got list. Got it. So, all right, and this these calculations, these point values, we add them all up over the decade and and we see, you know, what the what the stats look like and that's how we determine the um the dynasty of that particular decade.
0: I love it, man. I love it. All right, so yeah, um, I guess then we're going through teams that, that all the teams that changed and because there was a pretty massive movement in the, the early days. I know we've had we have a few here here and there, you know since then, but um, yeah, so the, the 13 teams I guess we started the 1950s with uh, in the NFL American Conference were the Cleveland Browns, New York Giants, Pittsburgh Steelers, Philadelphia Eagles, Chicago Cardinals and Washington
1: Redskins. Yep, and the NFL National Conference had the LA Rams, Chicago Bears, New York Yanks, uh, San Francisco 49ers, Green Bay Packers, and the Baltimore Colts. So that was um, the original 13 teams that rolled into 1950. Right. Um, So there were some changes, of course. Because right. it wouldn't be the NFL without this teams moving around. This is super interesting right. too. So um, the first thing was is that the Baltimore Colts owner faced some financial difficulties shortly after joining the NFL, and sold the team back uh, for fifty thousand dollars. Now I always thought that I thought that was low considering the valuations now. So to put in perspective, the Indianapolis Colts at this time Forbes list three. 0.25 billion billion. That's what they're worth now. That's what that guy gave up. So uh, they didn't play in the 1951 season. So the net change is minus the Baltimore Colts. We now have 10, or I'm sorry, 12, 12 NFL teams. teams. So we were not done. We still have more changes. So prior to the 1952 season, the New York Yanks sold the team back to the NFL. Uh, the asset was sold to an ownership group in Dallas and the Dallas Texans were born. So Um, real quick, did you
0: get, do you know what the, what they were sold to back to the league for before the, before the owner in Texas purchased them?
1: No, I think they, um, they took the asset back and just, I'm not sure what the Dallas, the ownership group in Dallas paid for it. So they
0: didn't actually get money for getting. Yeah. They got,
1: they got moved to another city and they played. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So, um, yeah, but I don't know how much they sold to this ownership group in, in Dallas. So um, the net of that particular transaction was we lost the New York Yanks and we added the Dallas Texans. So we're still we're still at, at, 12. Still at 12 teams. So after a 1-11 season in 1952, the Dallas Texans go belly up and the NFL awards the asset to Baltimore. The Baltimore Colts were born again for the 1953 season. This time the new franchise didn't take on – the history of the previous Colts, so it's it's essentially a brand new franchise. Okay. Yeah. So the net is minus Dallas Texans and hello again, Baltimore Colts. So we finished the 1950s uh, with 12 teams. With 12 teams. So net right. loss of one team by New York Yanks. All right. So um, that was just one of the categories that we've we've determined. Yeah. You know, we came up with for these episodes. So the second category is changing the game. Here we're going to look at things like rule changes, innovations, things that happened throughout the decade that um, we feel have a profound um, impression on what the game looks like now. So for example, a free substitution. This was an idea where you can have players move in and out of the game at any given time, as long as it's a dead ball. So after a play, you know, you can bring a defensive end in and after, you know, you can for third downs, you can have a guy come out and another guy come in to rush the passer. So there's all things, all sorts of things that you can do. And what this set the stage for was uh, position specialization. So you can have just guys that are focused on offense. You can have guys that are focused on defense and special teams and long snappers and and all sorts of different things. So I think to me, this is a pretty important um, change.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, in 1951, Mike, they brought the Pro Bowl game back that had been uh, dormant since 1942. And it was revived under a new format, which I'm guessing pitted uh, all-stars from each – well, it did pit all-stars from each conference. I'm guessing before that they just didn't have conferences. They must have just divided the team up um, arbitrarily somehow. And so they, in in 1951, they they revived the the Pro Bowl game and put all-stars from each conference against each other and played it at the L.A. Memorial Coliseum. I
1: think it stayed there for quite some time. I do too, yeah. uh, Post-AFL, and then they moved it out to Hawaii. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Post-merger. Right. We'll hear that a lot in this podcast. (laughs) So pass eligibility, I think, was a big one. Offensive line can't touch or catch a forward pass. So um, essentially that illegal man downfield that we see a lot or an ineligible receiver, um, illegal touch, those types of things, um, kind of this is where that all spawned from. Essentially the guys stay in and block, you stay in and run block, pass block, run block, don't go downfield until the ball's thrown. Right. It's pretty interesting. Uh, Player safety, they were thinking of it back then, I guess, to a certain extent. Not with the concussions or anything, but they kind of outlawed aluminum and metal cleats. Um, They were banned, uh, presumably so that people weren't getting lacerated.
0: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Mike. So in 1955, sudden death overtime was used to settle a game for the first time ever. And it was actually a game in Portland, Oregon, which is about an hour and a half south of us right now. But um, it was a game between the Rams and Giants uh, in the preseason. So they were kind of like you were talking about earlier. They're you know, going out to other locations to, to play games in front of fans. And, exhibition games. Yeah, yeah, exhibition games. And the Rams ended up winning 23 to 17 three minutes into overtime in that game. So definitely a new twist on on the league at that point point and i'm not sure if they just ended in a tie or if they went to an overtime period and the overtime period just they played 15 more minutes or 10 more minutes or whatever it is
1: yeah um looking at the note looking at the win-loss records over the last 70 years um there is a lot more ties than i thought it was okay. it's not quite like hockey ties but right. um quite a few ties so now I didn't dig into each one of those games at this point, yeah. uh, but it could, could. Our stat guy will, will update we'll, us on that one. <laughs> we'll update, yeah. So um, also what was invented in, in the 1950s was uh, motion. Um, I don't know how a team in the 2020s could function without mo- motion at this point. I mean, it's such a useful tool for the offense to try to figure out what the defense, what what defense their uh, their opponent is in. So um, this is where it started. People started moving around on the line of scrimmage. As long as they weren't moving forward, um, they can move around. And I think you get get guys coming out of the backfield. Let's like flank, uh, Frank Gifford, for example, um, listed at so many different pos- positions throughout the throughout his career, from running back, defensive back, uh, flanker, which is I guess a um, what you would call a slot receiver now. Right. Um, so
0: yeah, we had a, we had a long conversation about Frank Gifford's uh, yeah. playing career in, <laughs> in
1: previous and getting ready for these podcasts. Yeah. So. He'll come up a little bit later <laughs> in another category. Um, yeah. So um, just imagine a guy of that talent coming out of the backfield, just going into motion and just hits the line of scrimmage, like a wide receiver. Like right. what do you do? Your team's in a bind. Now you got a guy now you have to defend him in space So those big, heavy linebackers that are in there designed to stop him from running now have to go out and guard him. So, I mean, just imagine how wonderful a tool that was uh, back then.
0: Absolutely.
1: So this one seems pretty simple, but for me, it's like, I can't believe they didn't do it in the first place. So prior to uh, the 1950s, if you had a wet ball, you're fucked. Like you can't,
0: you're just just
1: throwing a wet ball around. Um, In the 50s, uh, they made a rule where the offense can actually switch out the balls as as you kind of move down the field. So um, we see that a lot now. You have a, a referee with a towel. It was like... The other night they had one the San Francisco Indianapolis game where it was like so wet the the back judge has the towel and he wipes the ball off and sets it down and if it gets too wet they switch out right so
0: they have the ball boy on the sidelines with the towel
1: towels over the balls
0: to to protect them from getting too wet yeah
1: so you see what they're doing here in a lot of ways they're really moving towards the forward pass yeah you know they're they're putting rules in place to make this thing. If the fans love it, it makes the game more exciting, all these different things can happen, it's that anticipation of not knowing whether you're going to run or pass as they hit the line as a fan, that's the thing that I one of the things I find mo- most exciting about it what's going to happen, are they going to throw a touchdown, are all they right. going to get a sack, like what's going to happen <laughs> here and uh, so this is, this is kind of where uh, it starts um, they also determine down by contact so okay. if you're in the grasp of a defensive player and any part of your body other than your foot and your hand or touching the ground at the time you're down. So before it wasn't like that? Apparently not. That's crazy, man. So, yeah. That's so interesting. You had to bring them all the way to the ground is my guess. Okay. Kind of like a uh, rugby style. Yeah. We have to pull them all the way to the ground. Right. Yeah. Okay. So face mask. Now they did about 90% of what we have now. The rule you could face max face masking was illegal for every player except the ball carrier, so you could still just ragdoll him with his face mask. But everyone else, you couldn't just grab a face mask and move him to the side. You you hear stories about like Alan Page and uh, just clubbing somebody with a cast on his hand. Yeah, I remember. Um, I remember Just those hitting, old the, hitting the lineman in the head and to to get by him and stuff like that. So that kind of shots to the head and face masking and stuff. They, felt like that they had to put it into that right because they didn't have face masks so obviously it was just like leather helmets no face masks and they had the hard helmets with no face mask just like a chin strap right and then they realized i think we should probably protect these guys faces at some point and then guys just used it as a way to you know get somebody down or kind of reach and grab so just all these constant advancements right <laughs> and this one good for the teams um more good for the teams and fans, really. So they came up with the idea of home and away jerseys. So yeah. we had, you know, the the home jersey was your colorful jersey, your uh, your main color, um, and then the away jersey was um, the white jersey. Right. So that was the standard. Teams kind of switch back and forth now, depending. On, we have those, you know, alternative uh, jerseys and stuff, but this shot up at you know into the roof the the sales for jerseys and whatnot
0: yeah and you know i so i know that you had we had talked about that um using uh radio receivers to communicate with players and um i think that they had implemented that in the early 50s like 50 or 51 or maybe late 40s But then in 1956, they actually prohibited that and thought that that was was a uh, A
1: a, a competitive
0: advantage advantage for the offense. So they banned that in 1956, I read. And then also in 1956, this was like the weirdest thing I ever, uh, of all the things I found. But it says a natural leather ball with white stripes at the end replaced the white ball with
1: black stripes for night games. Yeah.
0: Which is like, I didn't know they use different balls for for night day and night games, but I guess back there then you probably didn't have the.
1: If you think about, it, I think the rugby ball is like all white, isn't yeah, it? So yeah. So I I imagine that this game, well I, I know this game evolved pretty much from that. I mean if you look, so at, they
0: were using the white ball during the they just during the day and
1: yeah. To make the forward pass the ball had to become smaller. Nothing else changes. Right. Uh, it's heavy running game for the most part, so it's. You know they just kind of continue and they adapt from and the, far, the farther along we get away from the beginning of you know american football the the less and less it looks like rugby
0: right right so yeah man now we're gonna get into into the, the topic i'm i'm super excited about we're gonna we're gonna do a 1950s uh fantasy football draft
1: right yeah so the next the next category is is fantasy draft so uh instead of like monotonously going through and talking about stats and who's the best player and debating that. Um, I thought it would be a good idea if we just kind of do a do a quick draft. So we're going to draft a couple of quarterbacks, a couple of running backs, a couple of receivers. Um, We have a flex player, a person that you can plug in at different positions, depending on what you need to do that particular week and a defense. So here we go. Um, Quarterbacks. I'll take the first pick. Since it was my idea, the next week you can have the second pick or the first pick. So Bobby Lane of the Lions. This guy was everywhere. Um, averages two thousand yards, um, fifteen TDs um, throughout the decade. And I also noticed that they threw a lot of interceptions. A lot yeah, of interceptions. Yeah, no, I
0: noticed that too. For Oftentimes
1: sure. more than the touchdowns they threw. I imagine they get into that red zone on that, you know. Uh, the inside that red zone space it's a lot of running and not a lot of touchdowns um but it's still pretty impressive 2000 yards um in a – I think it was a 12 game season back then um he also did uh, do some numbers rushing about 200 yards a year two touchdowns i would classify him as uh, more of the the mobile quarterback with his ability to to run
0: yeah all right well i guess it's my draft yep. my pick now some um of you. So I'm going to go ahead and uh, grab Otto Graham from uh, the Cleveland Browns. Great choice. And uh, yeah, he averaged 2,200 yards uh, passing per year, which back then was pretty significant. He only played the first six uh, years of the decade. So in those six years, he had 2,200 yards per year and accounted for 88 touchdowns between running and passing, which... Over that, in, over that period of time total. Yeah, in those that. days, it was pretty impressive, yeah. for sure.
1: So. I have a bit of an anecdote about him. Uh, that's a great choice. A um, little, little anecdote later in the in the
0: Okay, all broadcast.
1: right. So, uh, my next pick, quarterback, Norm Van Brocklin of the Rams. So, again, uh, more of a pocket passer type. 2,000-plus uh, uh, yards, 14 touchdowns, 15 interceptions throughout the decade. Um would average about five rushes a year so this dude really wanted to hang back and just pick people apart um so and he had a he had a really amazing receiver too which we'll get into a little bit later uh that that uh he was able to shoot down so that the rams had what you would call an explosive um air attack right back then
0: um, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and, and uh, draft Johnny Unitas from I guess was originally drafted by Pittsburgh and then played for the Colts. What everybody who's what everybody remembers about him, uh, and he you know averaged 2,200 yards and um, per year 152 rushing yards per year and uh, 22. He had 22 total touchdowns and. And he only played the last, like, four four or five years of the... I think he was drafted in 55, so he played 56 through 50. And he didn't play that year, so... Uh, he only played 56 through 59 in this
1: decade. And uh, won two championships also, so... Great pick. Um, I think when you look at top quarterbacks um, by decade... You know, you got John Elway, uh, Dan Marino... Uh, Joe Montana, uh, Terry Bradshaw. Um, you have to talk. The first one, really, you know, that people remember um, is Johnny Unitas. So yeah. I actually have a little little more on him a little bit later, too. Okay, so good, good. That's a great, great choice. All right, here we go. Running backs. So I'm going to do uh, my first pick Lenny Moore of the Colts. Good
0: Hall pick. of Famer.
1: Good pick. 500 plus rushing yards a year, 600 plus receiving yards a year, 10 touchdowns. Now I love a, I love, he's got Johnny Unitas as as the quarterback. So I love the fact that he can catch balls and he did really, really well at doing this. I mean, he was like a 50, 50 guy, Um, probably somebody in that like Marshall, uh, Marshall, uh, Marshall Falk range, somebody that, you know, you can line them up outside as a receiver. You can bring them inside in the slot. You can put them, you know, just run them downhill. Uh, very versatile back.
0: All right. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, left, left me the, the running backs that you did. Uh, Cause I'm going to go ahead and take Jim Brown or, or Jimmy, if you look at his, uh, rookie, <laughs> rookie football card. Uh, if you know, you know. Uh, he averaged twelve hundred and uh, plus 1,250-plus yards per season and uh, a little over 12 rushing touchdowns per year, uh, plus uh, would add added in about 150 uh, receiving yards and a, a t- another touchdown per year. And, I mean, this is the greatest probably – I mean, arguably the greatest running back in football history. It, you could – it would be tough to – I mean, there's Walter Payton, there's – you know, Emmett Smith, Barry Sanders, all these different guys that you can you can argue, but I mean he played, he's the original man. Yeah, he
1: played um nine or ten seasons. He played twelve games a season, um, and rushed for two thousand yards in a in a 12-game
0: season one time. Yeah. So, So, I mean, that's amazing.
1: And he held the all-time rushing record until, like, 1984 when Walter Payton finally broke it. So, I mean, he he had it for 20 years. That's how profound a player this was. Great, great selection. Yeah. All right. So my second choice for running back is Alan Amici, also with the Colts. We're going to go with thunder and lightning of the Colts. Uh, he does 750 yards on average, hundred receiving eight touchdowns for the 1950s.
0: Nice. Nice. Uh, my next pick, you know, we're in the Pacific Northwest. I would be remiss if I did not recognize Hugh, the King McElhaney of university of Washington fame and 49er fame in the 1950s. Uh,
1: a choice for you. I
0: know, exactly. Uh, yeah, so he was a member of the 49ers' million-dollar backfield with four Hall of Famers in it. He averaged 433 yards per year rushing, a uh, little over 300 yards a year receiving. Uh, had 50 all-purpose touchdowns in the 50s and was also one of the greatest special teams players of the, that decade, returning kickoffs and punts. And I think, yeah, I think six or seven of those uh, re- uh, touchdowns were f- return touchdowns. What an
1: untapped resource, that that ability to, to catch, to get those touchdowns. You know, yep. from a fantasy perspective, we get right. those points, right? Yep, yep. All right, let's move on to wide receivers. I have Elroy Hirsch of the Rams, about 700 yards a year, six touchdowns, and a recipient of many of the balls from my quarterback, Norm Van Brocklin.
0: Nice. You know, your, your team's going to have a tough uh, – I don't
1: obviously. think there's any buys. Oh,
0: man. Damn it. I was going to say – And gonna, injuries <laughs> weren't
1: invented to like, the to okay. mid-70s. So. Yeah, right,
0: right. They played through it. <laughs> uh, my first wide receiver is going to be Tom Fears uh, the of the L.A. Rams. Uh, in 1950, get this, he had 84 receptions, including 18 catches in one game, which were both uh, – Records, NFL records, and um, I'm not sure what year they were finally broken, but he held them for long after his playing days were um, And he had, and he had 1,116 yards uh, and seven touchdowns that year. So 84 catches, 1,116 yards, and seven touchdowns. And uh, for for his 1950s, he averaged a little over 600 yards per season and four touchdowns and there was a couple of years that he must have been hurt cause he only played in a few games so i mean that's the numbers are pretty diluted compared to what he really did but he averaged about 600 yards and uh, four touchdowns over the course of the 50s and i believe he was the first 19th the the first mexican american or not even american he was born in mexico to play in the nfl
1: wonderful that's a great call out great yeah. call out All right, my final choice for receiver, Raymond Berry of the Colts, 650 uh, yards roughly a season, six touchdowns a season on average. uh, Hall of Famer.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, all these guys I've picked have been Hall of Famers too. I just haven't said that. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Um, I think it goes without saying. Yeah,
0: right. My next receiver is going to be Bobby Walston of the Eagles, who averaged a little over 400 yards per season and four touchdowns. Uh, Also handled the kicking duties for Philadelphia. Retired as the NFL's second all-time leading scorer with 881 points, which were brought about by 46 touchdowns, 365 extra points, and 80 field
1: goals. Yeah, they didn't tell the Uggles about uh, specialization, did they? No,
0: (laughs) not yet anyway.
1: All right, so we added a flex player because we wanted to capture some of these like transcendent athletes out Mm -hmm. there. Um, So my selection was Frank Gifford, the aforementioned uh, flanker slash halfback, 400 yards receiving, four touchdowns, 400 yards rushing, three touchdowns on average a season. Um, Was a beast in, I believe it was the 1958 season when they won the championship. Um, Yeah, that's my flex guy.
0: Yeah, I'm upset with you that you... I feel like you snaked me on that
1: one. I did snake you on that one because I did. I added it after I sent you the, I know. the sheet. So. <laughs> oh,
0: man. Uh, at least you'll know now. Right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You're cutthroat over here. Uh, <laughs> Got to win. My, uh, yeah, my flex position is Ollie Matson from the Chicago Cardinals and uh, one year with the Rams at the end of the 50s. Uh, he averaged uh, over 600 yards rushing and 300 yards receiving per year. And about a uh, little over six, so six and a half touchdowns per season in the 50s. Uh, also returned six kickoffs for touchdowns in six years with the Cardinals, which is, that's tough, man, to, to return six touchdowns in, ever in the, you know, on kickoff return. Uh, he was all NFL four times with the Cardinals before being traded to the Rams for nine players, which was unheard of at that time.
1: So, the 1950s Herschel Walker.
0: Yeah, pretty much.
1: Well, I I will say um it's a good call because if it's probably the only thing anybody on the Cardinals had yeah. done <laughs> since they Very were created true, in the 1920s. Although they are the only it was a undefeated downt-
0: team in the NFL right this year so far. That
1: is true. But they were downtrodden for quite some years. Absolutely. As I ran through every single record for every single team over the last 70 years, right. it really they were always at the bottom. <laughs> All right. So and the final team that we're going to pick or the final group that we're going to pick is the defense. So I selected the Cleveland Browns um, six out of the 10 seasons, uh, nineteen fifteen 1950 to 1959. They allowed the fewest points in the NFL. And I just go, that's it. You, you uh, don't allow points and you score more points than the other team. That's how you win. So that's who I went with.
0: Yeah, I went with um, the New York Giants they had the second uh, of the for the decade they had the second best rushing defense and the fourth best passing defense. And I just felt like that was the best combination of the two that that anybody had in that span. So, all right. With there that. it is. There we go.
1: Now we have to let them play the game, right? Absolutely. I wonder if we actually played that out. Like who would have won like yeah, week to week? Yeah, if we go you know? back
0: and we shouldn't do that.
1: <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Stat Guy can get on yeah, that because. We'll
0: have it. Yeah, maybe the next episode. Uh, that next is a episode. deep dive. <laughs> Every time we'll do the next episode, we'll, we'll give you the winner of our, of our decade.
1: All right. So the final category um, for the 1950s is the winners and losers. So we came up with um, a few, two or three winners and losers of, of the decade and kind of why we, we selected them. So the first winner is America. You know, we finally got the football that we always wanted, and it was great. This is the beginning of, I think, what as football fans, uh, the greatest sport in yeah, know, I mean, in, if you th- in America today,
0: yeah, if you think about it, like what I mean, it was all baseball before that, and uh, in the in the infamous words of uh, the one and only Beano Cook about baseball, haven't we suffered enough watching baseball. <laughs> so yeah, it was it was a fast-paced sport, something, you know, that you weren't uh, you know, I know baseball can be pretty pretty mind-numbing at times. I I am a baseball fan, but yeah, um it's definitely football is it's just so fast and and yeah, fast-paced and hard-hitting. It's it's hard to take your eyes off of.
1: Yeah, I mean, you got few games than any other you know, sport basketball's got eighty-two. I love watching basketball too. Don't get oh, me wrong, yeah, me but too. the the how important each game is in the in an NFL season um, is probably it's unparalleled. Yeah. Um, and you know, baseball. I think one of the things I do like about baseball is playoff baseball. It's yeah. really exciting. You can feel the tension in the air. But you know, when you're watching a game in August, and there's you know on a Tuesday at one a, at one p.m. and there's like. 1700 people in the stadium it just looks like you know what is this is this right. like a high school you know, game or what? I,
0: I, I know that baseball is a lot about I don't mean to go too far off on a tangent here I know baseball is like big on tradition and things like that but I felt like last year during the pandemic shortened season in uh, 2020 and they only I think they only played 60 games or something along those lines and it was i mean it was a sprint to the finish it was like those games actually meant something right right? instead of 162 games they only played 60 so yeah you can definitely definitely tell that you know the like that's what makes foot that sets football apart is that you're you know everything counts like every little every game every quarter every play like it it all adds up yeah
1: about week four or five everything becomes a calculation yeah how can we get enough wins to win our division and get into the playoffs yeah exactly all right so the second winner of uh the 1950s the city of cleveland as far as i'm concerned never got that good again (laughs) there was some success in the uh early 1960s um but jim brown retires in 1965 then the cuyahoga river you know catches fire in 1969 (laughs) and it's pretty much all downhill from there
0: oh man you guys had a good run in the 80s too there he we had about a
1: four-year run in the yeah. '80s. Let's not let's not call it a run. Okay. That's just like <laughs> I don't know, a couple of good play calls. Yeah. Yep. All right. So, and this is the Johnny Unitas part of the program. Um, he is the the final winner that I have for this uh, for this decade. Um, he was riding the bench with the Pittsburgh Steelers. He was claimed off waivers by the Baltimore Colts. So, he he's out of the NFL. After being drafted by the Pittsburgh Steelers, he's working construction to support his family, and he's playing semi-pro ball for a team called the Bloomfield Rams for like six bucks a game. Um, one of his teammates, a, a semi-pro teammate, um, asked him to join him for a tryout. Apparently, he couldn't afford uh, to, ha- you know, couldn't afford the gas and the trip to get out to Baltimore so that he could do this. So he gets. Uh, Unitas involved in this um, and they borrow money from their friends and they get out to the tryout in front of Weeb Eubank, legendary coach uh, coach for the Colts, and uh, made the team. And um, he struggled a bit in the first couple of games, uh, but eventually settled in. Um, made it to the playoffs and started, uh, in, in, he threw a touchdown pass in the playoffs and that pass started a 47 game streak of throwing a touchdown pass. Now the end of his career is great, um, as well. So he, he won back-to-back championships in 1958 and 59, and he became the first quarterback to topple the 40,000, uh, passing yard mark. And ended his career as the leading passer in NFL history. And did,
0: he had that for quite a while, too, didn't he?
1: Um, yeah, I mean... I, I,
0: I forget who broke it, but I, I feel like I saw somebody break it. Like, maybe Dan Marino or something back in the 80s.
1: Uh, I don't know if it stood that long, but okay. we'll, we'll have to... Well, stat guy. We'll get stat guy stat on guy, that. Stat guy, get on it. <laughs> so, um, all right. So now we're done with the winners. Let's move on to the losers. So, Ohio... The state where NFL started lost all its original teams by the end of the decade. They lost the Cleveland Rams to Los Angeles for the 1946 season um, and didn't have another team playing in there until 1950 when the Browns had their first season after they were in the um, AAFC. So Ohio, the beginning, arguably, of professional football, didn't have a team for a period of time seems like uh, uh, <laughs> they are definitely the losers um, fullbacks so this, I thought this one was interesting yeah, yeah, this seemed to mark the end of the fullback um, so for those who don't know the quarterback, halfback, fullback are in relation to their positions um, behind the center so the quarterback obviously behind the center quarterback from the where the fullback is the halfback is in between um, and then the fullback is in the back. So he stacked him like that. The fullbacks typically at that time was the bigger guy, kind of like they are now, but they were the, also the most athletic. They're the ones that did most of the running. Um, and then as we moved into these different formations, you put the the, the running backs on the side of the quarterback and a, shut, uh, a shotgun, or you carry a fullback in the middle and two uh, halfbacks on the side, uh, T formations, you you. Eventually, NFL teams took the bigger guy, the fullback, and moved them in front to be a lead blocker for your faster uh, um, halfback. Right. So,
0: Yeah, Mike Allstott's somewhere cursing you right now yeah, saying that this, this is the end of the fullbacks.
1: The exception to this rule, obviously, is the aforementioned Jim Brown, that he oh, just yeah. was able to carry this well into the 60s and just was a beast. So I was doing a little research on him and kind of trying to compare his size to something that's out there right now. So I saw that Jim Brown was 6'2", 230 pounds uh, when he was playing in the 1950s and 60s. So that's Derrick Henry's size, almost to a T. So picture Derrick Henry out there running against factory workers and plumbers. <laughs> so for, even for our time now, Jim Brown would be considered a big running back. Right. Um, but he was the last kind of fullback. Like when you look at the best players in the 1960s, it's all RBs there's no FBs anymore. There's no fullbacks anymore. It's just everybody's a running back. And they broke that down a little bit more concisely uh, in the previous decades. All right. Fi- the final loser um, for this decade is the Daytona Triangles. Try as they must. They, were, they, were, they tried very hard. Um, they were merged into the Brooklyn Dodgers. That combined with the Boston Yanks, which of course moved to the New York Bulldogs and later renamed the, U- the New York Yanks. So that team we had discussed leading off the 1950s. Eventually the lifeless body of the-, the Yanks were moved to Dallas became the Texans where that franchise was laid to rest. The carcass of the Triangles franchise was eventually given to Baltimore as we discussed earlier um, which became the Colts again and with that the Franchise history of the Triangles was laid to rest. I love it. R.I.P. Triangles. R.I.P. All right. So um, that's the end of the categories. So the next thing is who won the decade. So this is Let's this go. is this yeah. is why we're here, right? This is it. Okay.
0: So it's, it was pretty obvious who won the decade. But
1: yeah. So based on championships alone. But, championships alone. But let's let's be clear about this. The okay. reason I came up with the point system in the first place was I wanted to look at teams that maybe didn't have the, the number of championships. This, is, this equation is not based on the person who has the most championships. I think that's easy. And right. I don't think it necessarily tells the story of all the teams out there that deserve to be counted.
0: Absolutely.
1: So what this does, it gives credit for teams that are constantly... So if you have good records throughout the decade if you have cons- you're consistently making it to the playoffs and getting deep in the playoffs you can actually compete with these these you know the, the patriots of today or the browns of yesteryear and all that other stuff so so
0: let's go down here and like just list off the three leading point getters i guess point scorers for the decade according to our rules
1: yeah let's get that pulled up here real quick so, so- For the 1950s, um, we have the Cleveland Browns at number one. 62 points. 62 points. And it's by far, it's almost double the next guy. Um, So the next team down is the Detroit Lions at 35. And then we have a tie for third with the Rams and the Giants. So that's what the numbers bore out for your top four. But we have other things to take into consideration as well. We can't just all, we have to really think about how they did overall. So when we take a deeper dive into that, we have the winner of this decade is the Cleveland Browns. Uh, They have a dynasty by decade score of 62. They went 88, 30, and two for the decade. They made the playoffs eight times, the conference championship seven, and they won three championships, 1950 and then back to back in 54, 55. Now, I made a note on this is that the only time they didn't make the season or make the playoffs is when they were transitioning from your player, Otto Graham, after retirement in 1955 and their draft of Jim Brown in 1966. Oh, so, you
0: can call him my player, too.
1: Oh, that's right. Your player, too. <laughs> Man, you're heavy into the Browns. Oh,
0: uh, Yep, yep, yep. So, you know, I know when we were coming up with this, Mike, um, the kind of how where we were going to go with the data that you had, had accumulated looking at the Detroit Lions the Lions had a dynasty by decades score of 35 and their record was
1: uh, 70 45 and five
0: 70 45 and five and they made the playoffs four times they did winning three Super Bowls yep four conference, champi-
1: four conference championships and three four conference and three uh, World championships yeah
0: and the thing that throws me about this is that makes me want to argue a little more heavily for them is that all three of their championships came against Cleveland. That's true. Which I, I find that impressive. And they won back-to-back, if I'm not uh, – yeah, 51 and 52,
1: they won back-to-back. Yeah, so if you're looking for parallels, it's really the New York Giants versus the um, um, New England Patriots. We have a team that's dominating a, a, a decade, and then all of a sudden the Giants show up, and they're it's like kryptonite to right. the um, Patriots. So I think it's a similar situation. But when you look at the for me, when you look at the big picture, uh, you look at how consistent they were throughout the decade. Um, I, I, this is where like record may, may, means something. The number of times to the playoffs means something. The number of championships means something. That's true. Uh, that a conference championships. So that's that's why, um, according to the calculations, it has you know it has for me it has to be the Browns. But,
0: and and they did end up. They did uh, Cleveland did. Uh, Avenge their losses against uh, de- against Detroit at some. Uh, they beat them in the one the one game that the one championship game. They lost was against Cleveland as well. So all four times they played Cleveland, right? And lo- went three and one.
1: Yeah. But, yeah. So I, I do I do give that to Cleveland for that. So. And we're not saying hey Detroit sucks, right? You know. No. If, no. If the, in this decade, they're they're the runner up. They're the second best team. Over a 10-year period, 1950s, hands Absolutely. down. Absolutely. So we have a couple of honorable mentions. So these teams are important teams to the decade. Um, had star players or they had a really good run going or something like that. So the first honorable mention I have is the New York Football Giants. So their Dynasty by Decade score was 28. They went 76-41-3 and three for the decade. They made the playoffs four times, conference championship three times, and an NFL championship one time 1956.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then they had, and Frank Gifford was like probably the most, dy- or one of the most dynamic players, kind of game-changing type players that that was that played in the 1950s. So. Yeah,
1: so the year that they won their championship, 1956, um it was his breakout year. He'd been in the league for about four years. Um, he goes 1,422 yards from scrimmage, 11 total TDs, including two passing TDs. So he was all over the place. He was, I mean, it's just one of those like great, greatest seasons. I don't know. Chris Johnson or yeah, Chris Johnson, when he wrote goes for 2000 yards, like who's this guy? He goes to the combine, runs a two, what is it? A four, two, eight or something like that. And, You know, a couple of years later, he goes for 2,000 yards in the NFL and then just kind of like disappears. Where'd he go? Where's Chris Johnson? No kidding. So,
0: Um, yeah. And then uh, our other honorable mention is the Baltimore Colts, who I think when we were originally talking about this, we didn't even realize that they won back-to-back championships in 58 and 59, which is not easy to do. It did happen a few times in that decade because obviously, you know, there's... Welders and painters and, and factory right. workers. The, the talent football, wasn't top yeah. to bottom quite yet. But yeah, I mean, so their dynasty by decade score was eight, 18. Is that right?
1: Yeah, eighteen. Yeah. Yep. So
0: I, I was kind of surprised they were so far behind the Giants. Um, but you know, they. But then again, when you dig into the the facts, like they missed a couple of seasons. In yeah. The, so
1: they missed two full seasons. Yeah. Um, they weren't very good to begin with, which is why they weren't making money. Right. Um, so they had a couple of things um, that were holding them back, but you know what? Starting in about 1954, they had signed four. Hall- they have drafted or signed four Hall of Famers over the next four years. They basically built this championship team, this back-to-back championship team, organically by scouting and drafting well and getting these guys in positions uh, to succeed. So if you really want to. Look to see how you build a franchise. At least back then, I mean, go no further than the Baltimore Colts. Yeah, no, I, I, uh,
0: I like it. I like it. So yeah, I mean, I guess are the winner of of the nineteen fifties decade. My. Cleveland Browns. you your Cleveland Browns. I mean, I, I have I have them on my fantasy team, though, so I'm, yeah. I'm claiming them partially now. Sure.
1: But, You're welcome to them. Uh, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. Well, I guess you got the defense, so. <laughs> um, you know, I did want to just really quick uh, throw out a couple of interesting notes that I had on uh, some players. So Willie Gallimore from the Chicago Bears went to Florida A&M in college. was a real speedy guy. He would be – probably like a slot receiver, kind of like how you mentioned uh, Frank Gifford earlier. Sure. Um, If he was playing in today's game, just lightning fast, could catch the ball, could run, had a real brief career. I think it was only like five or six seasons, and then he was out of football. But the only reason he got drafted is because George Hallis got a trip a tip from a jockey at a horse race track in miami ridiculous <laughs> to to go check this kid out and that's how you know he was like okay i'll take a flyer on him and drafted him and like the that you know they had like 15 rounds in the draft back then so picked him late in the draft and he turned into i mean he was kind of a, a you know shooting star there for a few years so
1: yeah i mean back then you had to take chances you don't know i mean they did there were professional athletes, for sure, Jim Thorpe and, and the like, but you didn't really know how that was going to translate into the NFL, into the pro game. For example, they keep they, there was a period of time, I don't know, maybe uh, the early 2000s, they kept trying to bring these uh, rugby guys in um, to play running back because, hey, man, you they, they couldn't tackle him in rugby, so it'd be great to get this guy on the outside, just he's fast, he's tough, all this kind of... They don't. They can't pick up the. They haven't been able to uh, pick up the nuances of the pass blocking and the different parts of the other parts of the game that that exists. So they might be good at one thing, but you know, fast guy, or if he, but he has bad hands, or right. you know, he can't block. Yeah. Um, so.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Why don't we just get the? Uh, let's give Usain uh, Usain Bolt the. Uh some football pads and see if you can go catch a pass, right? Right. Just it's let him just go not run that easy. Her, yeah. like, no. It only takes getting punched in the mouth once to, to end your career or whatever. Unless uh, you
1: unless you're bullet Bob Hayes, right? <laughs> <laughs>
0: there you go. Uh, the one other interesting note I had found was, uh, that early in the fifties, um, between their be- playing and being sold and, and being, uh, defunct for a couple of years there the Colts quarterback uh, in 1954 was George Shaw Uh, they originally had the horseshoe on the side of their helmets facing down well George Shaw's mother he's an old he's an Irish guy (laughs) his mother saw this and lost her mind and was like that is bad luck you cannot have a horseshoe facing down so in nineteen fifty four the team decided to change the horseshoe to face up and not have bad luck.
1: The rest is history, right? And
0: then they, you know, I mean they they finished the decade out with two uh back to back championships.
1: God, if it only was that easy. Can I we know, flip right? can we flip the Seahawks <laughs> Eagle over?
0: So we need to do something, man. I don't know what, <laughs> but Yeah. So yeah, there there you have it, guys. We uh you know, we have Cleveland Browns as the the team of the decade for the 1950s with the, with the uh, Detroit Lions kind of a deep, uh, distant second place, but still right there and a couple of interesting teams in the Giants and the Colts.
1: Yeah, a lot of fun teams. Um, you can really see things uh, happening here. You can see, the beginnings of what we know and love about the nfl um, with their rule changes and kind of bringing these teams in we're starting to see the nfl form it's all teams that we recognize yeah um for the most part uh, at this point so yeah. other than the chicago cardinals
0: i mean i guess we yeah we still cart we know the cardinals but
1: yeah well yeah so that's so that's an interesting
0: few, a few odd odd name teams for us for today's game. So the yeah. Chicago
1: Bears and the and the Arizona Cardinals are the only two teams that exist in the NFL today that started right. back in 1920, 22 when it became the, the NFL.
0: Yeah.
1: It's the a, Cardinals, huh?
0: Yeah, I know, right? Jesus.
1: More coming on <laughs> them when we discuss the AFL.
0: Yeah, can't wait for Episode that.
1: Episode three, we're going to call an audible. We're going to jump off the NFL train and we're going to analyze uh, the AFL. 1960 to 1969 Uh, we're gonna there's a lot of interesting teams and a lot of things i'm sure that a lot of people don't know about so i'm looking forward to that
0: and then we will uh we'll continue back around onto the the 1960s the following week and on from there
1: yep yes sir
0: i love it mike parker thanks so much buddy all right brother we will uh do it again next week Yep. Uh, if, if any of you are out there listening, we, obviously you're listening. If you could like, share, rate, review the podcast, we would appreciate it. It uh, helps us with the algorithms. You, know, you can subscribe on Spotify or tune in, I believe, at this point. We should be live on Apple and, and all the other uh, podcast platforms in the not-too-distant future. Until next week, guys.
1: All right. Thanks, Jeremy.
0: Thank you.